This is it. This is the finale of this King Encounters series. Has this series been blessing anybody? Yes. Um, I feel as though the Holy Spirit has spoken. I don't end the series until I feel as though God has gave me another direction to go. I'm literally like, okay, God, these your kids. What you want to say? <laughs> what you want to say? Because I don't ever want to ever be up here and preach flesh. So I'm just thankful. And there's just, just like this, this illustration that was standing out to me. Um, unless you live in an apartment. I've noticed something about the city of Houston. When you have trash... They have never knocked on my door and asked me, do you have any trash for us to take it? <laughs> never. And it just dawned on me, God can't take it from you if you don't give it to him. Is anybody honest enough to admit I got some trash? Maybe if you don't have trash, that's your trash lying. There's some stuff <laughs> I need God to take and I need for him to take it from me. So I am excited. I know usually I have this, this long build, but there's so much that I want to share with you um, this afternoon that I want to get straight to work. Is it all right if I do that? Is it all right if I do that? Even if you said no, I'd do it. <laughs> For the finale of this King Encounter series, I want to speak around this thought from this subject for a few moments on this afternoon. I learned it the wrong way. I learned it the wrong way. Our foundational text is going to start in Acts chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible, we'll have it projected for you on the screen. I highly encourage reading along with us because we are living in a dangerous time. And that is a time where everybody feels as though God has given them a word. So for, for this church and this ministry, I always want us to see the scriptures so that you can see we don't preach opinions, we preach doctrine. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 is where we're going to launch our reading. And then after a few scripture reading, we're going to hop down to verse 18. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. If you got it, would you yell at your boy as loud as you can? I'm here. I'm here. It says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, speaking of Jesus, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found anyone who were of the way now remember I taught us this Christians were not called Christians until Antioch okay they were first called followers of the way then believers then Christians okay so it's right here is saying so that if he found any who were of the way meaning Christians rather men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone all around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, hold on, who, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? 
Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, meaning he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now I want to hop down to verse 17. The verses in between are just the interaction between God talking to Ananias. You can read that on your own time, but I want to hop down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hand on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once and arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Please pay attention to this. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples of Dam at Damascus. Don't miss that. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, Brothers and sisters, the verses that I would like to bring to your attention are clause of concern and the verses that are going to serve us for this afternoon's preaching presentation is first, verse one of our foundational text where the scriptures tell us that Saul was breathing threats and murder towards the disciples of Jesus. <laughs> and then verse 20, Saul is in the synagogue preaching Jesus is the son of God. Did y'all catch that? Verse one, he is breathing threats and about to murder the disciples of Jesus. But then in verse 20, we find him in the church turning up saying Jesus is the son of the most high God. What has happened on the inside of Saul from verses one to verse 20? Something staggering and appalling has happened on the inside of Saul. It must have been amazing because he went from being a religious killer. How do you go from being a religious killer? Listen, y'all. How do you go from being a terrorist to the church? That's what this is. If Saul were alive today and had this type of methodology, he would be considered guilty of terrorism. When you are trying to find people who believe a different faith than you do, rather man or woman, arrest them and get them killed, that is terrorism. So how do you go from being a terrorist to the church? <laughs> I'm so excited because I know where I'm going and y'all don't. How do you go from being a terrorist to the church? A proven for Christians to be killed, to become like the very people that you tried to kill. 
How do you go from being a radical zealot to being one of the greatest Christian missionaries and apostles that we have ever known by the name of Apostle Paul. What happened between verse 1 to verse 20? Saul had a king encounter. And not only did he have a king encounter, he had a Damascus Road experience. What is a Damascus Road experience, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. I want to tell you, a Damascus Road experience is a season of your life when God stops you. See, we're not going to get nobody shot right there, see? See, if I say, let's thank God that he's the God that opens doors, they will hear us on 1960. If I say, let's thank God for all the things that he has stopped in your life, he stopped them, you'll hear us on 1960 shouting. But if I say, is there anybody who has arrived to the spiritual mature place where you have learned how to thank God for stopping me? See how we do that? My sis in Japan, y'all see that? Thank you, God, for stopping me. Thank you for stopping me from marrying that life wrecker. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for stopping me from trying to chase my plans because it would have been my demise. You know that you are growing in your walk with God when you begin to worship and thank him that he stopped you. <laughs> not just stop them, not just stop certain opportunities, but he has stopped you. Stopped you and Saul is an intellectual man, an educated man. He is a professional man because he's a tent maker by trade. He knows the scriptures. He knows the minor prophets and he knows the major prophets and he knows the Torah. He knows the Mosaic law. He's skilled in the scripture and he is zealous at it. Saul is one of the most elite Pharisees. He has so much passion. But watch this, y'all. He's passionately wrong. <laughs> Passion, zealous, but passionately wrong. See, I'm so glad that God doesn't see the way man sees. Because a lot of us would have wrote Saul off because of that. But God was like, oh, you passionate. If I could use that for my glory, though. Oh, she has an attitude. If I could sanctify that and if I could redeem that and get her to exercise apologetics with that and start to teach people to be able to clap back with your faith towards your situation, to have faith that talks back. Oh, if I could redeem that about you. Saul is passionate, but he is passionately wrong. Church family, I wonder if there's anybody in this sacred space and I wonder if there's anybody watching online, have you ever met somebody who was passionate, but passionately wrong? I'm talking about passionate, but ill-advised. Like, like passionate, but ignorant. The danger of being passionate and ignorant is because you are passionately drowning in your own delusions. It's dangerous for you to be passionate and ignorant. Have you ever met somebody who is passionate but wrong? Let's see if we have any real people in the house. Have you ever been? See? See? Oh, it's going to get real in here today. Have you ever been passionate but passionately wrong? 
And when you discover that you're wrong, uh uh-oh, are you humble enough to admit you were right and I was wrong? See, the danger of people who who are passionately wrong is they will argue over anything. Like, I'll tell somebody, this towel is gray. And they say, no, it's not, Jerry, it's sterling. It's not gray. It's sterling. Y'all laughing, but there are people like this. It is not gray, it is sterling. I know about towels. Have you ever sewed a towel together before? Have you ever stitched a towel? I've been working at Bath Body Works, Bed Beyond. I worked all day. I fold towels. I have a doctorate in towel folding. I have a doctorate in understanding colors. You know how many weddings I've been in? I had to pick sterling silver. I had to pick champagne. I had to pick olive grove. You would have labeled it green. I labeled it sterling. Just passionate. <laughs> but passionately wrong. Can I give y'all some wisdom? This is why you never argue with a fool. Let me make my lip lip hang. A fool. Can I get all of us to do that? Say fool. This is why you never argue with a fool. Because they will drag you down and beat you with their experience. Being a fool is what I do. Like being foolish, that's what I do. I come with all the smoke. (laughs) Just passionate, but passionately. Y'all talk to me. Wrong. Saul is passionate. He's passionate and he's religious, but he is a religion killer. Ooh, religious, but a religious killer. It's time to get some emails now. Religious, but a religious killer. Because that is what religion does. It kills. Kills. In the name of religion, we have had people burn women and claim for them to be witches, discovered that they weren't witches, never apologized, but felt as though they were doing God's work because that is what religion does. Religion kills. In the name of religion, my ancestors were brought over from Africa and other parts of the world in chains. We were beaten, we were raped, we were sold, we were hung, and we were throwing scriptures at us. And we were killed because that's what religion does. Religion kills. There's certain priests and popes in the name of religion who are taking advantage of little boys and and little girls and killing their innocence and killing their first impression of God and killing their purity and nobody can say nothing because in Catholicism, we deal with our own. We're going to kill their innocence because that's what religion does. Religion kills. There's a young Nazarene man who's healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and walking on water and feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread and the religious leaders felt as though he was a threat. I'm talking about Jesus. Felt as though he was a threat and so in the name of God they tried to get him killed. They got him killed on the cross and they felt as though they were right because that is what religion does. Religion kills. Let me give you a word. Be aware of of any ministry, any church, any social media platform who builds a following off attacking people. 
and feels as though they're doing it by exposing the fruitful works of darkness and feels as though I'm going to try to kill their reputation. I'm going to try to kill what they post. That is not the spirit of Jesus. That is the spirit of religion. Religion kills, but relationship saves. Preach Holy Ghost. I'm trying to help us relationship saves Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him and commune with him and know him and find fulfillment in him and find joy in him and find clarity in him and find hope in him and find understanding in him and find identity in him and find pleasure in him and find hope in him and find fulfillment in him I want you to find it in me relationship will save your life it'll save your peace whenever you open up your heart and say Jesus come into my heart and be my Lord he never comes in as a guest he always comes in as a boss he never comes in as a visitor he always comes in as a landlord I see you got this room all nice you got your potpourri and you got your green tea for me there I, I see that but what about that that room in the back like that, that bedroom issue of lust. Can I go back there? Can I go back there? This looks nice. Thank you so much. But can I go in that back room? Because any room you don't let me rule in is a room that Satan can wreak havoc in. Can I go back there? Yeah, you got the hallway all nice. This is nice. I see your artwork. You got your scriptures. I see you. Your hashtag. This is nice. But can I go in that basement down there that's having all that bitterness that you feel some type of way about your mom and Mother's Day is coming up and you're wondering, should I call her this year or not? Because there's something that you feel on the inside. Oh, can I go down there? Because I call for you to be the example in your bloodline and I'm going to use you to change the trajectory of your family. I'm going to use you to shift it. I know it hurts to be called, but I'm going to use you for your bloodline. Can I go in there? Religion kills, but relationship saves. I'm trying to convince us that Jesus doesn't want you just on the weekends. He wants full custody. It's great to be in here on Sunday, but I want you Monday through Saturday too. Is there anybody, y'all excuse me, I'm off my notes, but is there anybody who has arrived at this place? God, I'm done. I'm so done with trying to do me. Whatever you want, whatever you want in my life, take my mind, take my rights, take my passion. Whatever you want, God, I just want you. Because I recognize that you are a better Lord than me. I just want you. Saul is passionate, but he's passionately wrong and I have a sneaky suspicion on this Sunday afternoon that there are people in this sacred space and there are people who are watching online who are just like Saul we are just like Saul we learned some things but we learned it wrong learned it but learned it wrong and I firmly believe the Holy Spirit has summoned for me to talk to somebody this afternoon who wants to experience transformation. Yes, 
but you are frustrated. You came into this year talking about 2022 is the year where I'm for real, where now we are in the third month of this year, third month of this year, and you find yourself getting frustrated because some things that you thought would have been transformative have not been transformative yet. The weight has not fell off yet. Debt has not been paid yet. Things have not been restored, and it's starting to look like 2022 is going to mirror 2021, and you're frustrated because you want transformation. I want to talk to you. The Holy Spirit told me to tell you there are two ways where you can experience transformation. Number one, your transformation is tied to your surrender to Jesus. Not deep, but some of us need to hear it because we treat the Bible like it's a book of electives. I like this one. I don't like that one. I'm cool with this one. I'm not cool with that one. Until you submit and surrender to Jesus' teaching, principles, and decrees, you are limited in your transformation. That's the first thing. The second thing is your transformation is tied to your unlearning. Your unlearning. Whenever you come to Christ, you have just entered the university of unlearning and relearning. Yes. There's some unlearning that you have to do. See, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, puts it this way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you quoting a lot of scripture, that's great. But the way that you experience transformation is you have to have a renewed mind. I took the time to break this down. The word renew, the prefix re, means to do again. Like rewind, replay, restore, renewal. When we put those two words together, it means I need us to do this again because something former has worn out. I need us to do this again because something needs to be updated. Just like if you're about to renew your lease, you have to renew your lease because the old one has been worn out and this one needs to be updated. If you're about to renew a contract, it is because the old one has expired and the new one needs some updates. Now, I began to research even further and I found out Apple updates its devices at least 10 times a year. ISO 15.2, ISO 15.23, ISO 15.67, and then every September, ISO 16. Your Xbox updates 10 times a year. Your PlayStation updates 10 times a year. Your TV, depending on if you have a smart one, updates at least seven times a year. Are you going to let your phone update more than you? Talk Holy Spirit. Are you going to update your prayer life yet? Because the old one that has expired. Okay, that was great. The God is good. God is great. That's good. But you're dealing with warfare now. Can we update your prayer life? Can we update your fasting? Can we update your biblical intelligence? It's time for you to upgrade. I need for you to upgrade because it's possible. Please hear me, church. Please hear me. It's possible that you learned it, but you learned it wrong. Learned it, but learned it wrong. I, I need for us to get to a place to understand that your spiritual growth is not just a becoming. It's also a unbecoming. Did y'all hear what I just said? Your, your spiritual growth is not just 
a becoming. It is also a unbecoming. The butterfly has to unlearn the habits of crawling if it's ever going to fully embrace its new wings. Your transformation is tied also to your unlearning. Unlearning the patterns that programmed you to accept this as normal. Nothing of the Christian life in the Bible is referred to as normal. You're called stuff like aliens, pilgrims, sojourners, light of the world, salt, a city on a hill. Nothing about that is normal. It's possible that you and I have learned it, but learned it wrong. I need to unlearn the lessons that were taught to me by a wounded person. Mama was wounded when she taught you that. Daddy was wounded. Ooh, we get in trouble. Your ex-husband was wounded. Your ex-wife was wounded. Can I be more real? Your pastor was wounded. And it was coming out in sermon content. They were wounded. I need you to unlearn that. That may have been a wrong version of who I really am. You learned it. But is it possible that you learned it wrong? I, I need for us to unlearn dysfunction. Because normalized dysfunction programs us to operate and find comfort in a stronghold and just label this as, this is the way I am. <laughs> this is just me. Whoever God sent me going to love me for me. Love changes everything. Everything. If you're not willing to change, you're not willing to receive love. Because love changes everything. God loved us so much when he was like, okay, I got to put on flesh and step down in the earth and redeem my children. Love changes everything. I need us to unlearn some things. Perhaps the problem is not the problem. The problem is the pattern. See? It's the pattern that you have been handed down to believe. It is the religious pattern that you have been handed down to believe. Perhaps the problem is not the problem. The problem is the pattern. And if we can start to unlearn the problem, if we can start to unlearn the pattern, then maybe we could solve the problem. But we keep thinking the problem is because of what my mama did. And the problem is what they did. But if we could unlearn the pattern, then we could finally solve the problem. It's possible, church, that you learned it, but learned it wrong. Unlearn what is untrue. The most dangerous lie is the one that you believe as truth. Or how about this? How about unlearn, fake it till you make it? Who gave us that advice? Where they at? Like, I need to know the source. Fake it till you make it. Is there anybody where you at this place? Enough with sacrificing my mental health on the altar of appearance. It's getting quiet in here. Matt, you hear that right? You see these claps? They getting quiet. Talk, Holy Ghost. I learned. I, I, I learned that. You know why some of us are so depressed? I feel like I'm talking prophetic now. You know why some of us are so depressed? This is just one reason, not the only reason. The reason some of us are so depressed is because the real you is tired of acting okay. Mm -hmm. Like the real you, that person that cries every night, that person that doesn't like what they see in the mirror, but to the world you present this avatar as though you're okay, that person is really upset and tired of being fake. And like, when you gonna be real, ma'am? When you gonna be real, sis? I'm dying down here. This, 
This is the danger of fraudulent living. Fraudulent living makes you miss your blessing. Because watch this. Your blessing arrives where you live. Not at the address you pretend to live. Y'all don't want to talk to me. Miss Celeste, I hear you in the laughing. You hear me? Your blessing is not going to arrive where you say you're at, what you post, and how you want everybody to think that you are. No, it's going to arrive at your authentic self. The oil is reserved for your authentic self. God is looking and seeing Saul, and he's like, okay, I'm not just looking at your problem. I'm looking at what I could do in your life once you're redeemed. Because when you get redeemed, you got redemptive potential. That part of you that you're ashamed of, what if God needs that part to use it? It's possible that you learned it, but we learned it wrong. I learned that vulnerability is weak. I learned that. Being vulnerable is one of the most bravest, and it takes so much courage. Being vulnerable is so brave that some people leave the, live their whole life and never do it. Because it requires that much courage for you to show I'm not okay. This is the real me. Accountability requires nudity. I really can't hold you accountable if you're not open where you struggle. Or how about unlearn finding comfort in chaos? He talking, isn't he? It's not me. Unlearn finding comfort in chaos. See, what God does is he sends you kingdom friends. Somebody say kingdom. He sends you kingdom pastors, and he sends you kingdom brothers and sisters that will remind you of God's original kingdom order. God is a God of order. So when God brings somebody who is of the kingdom in your life, it's to establish order. This is why it feels every message is coming for your scalp. <laughs> this, is why I feel, well, this is why I feels like every word is snatching your edges. I see your comments, Jerry, please get out of my business. Do you read my mail? No, I don't. I don't. But this is what it feels like when God is sending you somebody that's showing you this is God's original agenda. This is God's original order. But watch this. When you're used to breathing chaos, order will feel like you're being suffocated. Well, if I just, if I just had me a, a kingdom man. Okay, kings establish order. Are you really want somebody to come in your life and establish order to your chaos? Look at your trunk, ma'am. Look at your back seat. Y'all don't want to talk to me. Y'all don't want to talk to me. All right. See, it was filling me until there, right? Okay. Let me keep going. How about unlearn their survival tactics that you learned by being a trauma survivor? We're in the house. And we're watching online. A lot of us are trauma survivors, and you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And the person you became due to that trauma is not who you really are. You don't need to act protective anymore. You're out of that. You're free from that. How about unlearn those survival tactics where you now could experience who you originally were before you lost it to where you were? I need that part of you back and as I was studying God revealed to me something on how Satan tricks people in committing suicide it's all of this pain and all of this discomfort that we feel on the inside and Satan tells us it would be better if it were to die you would be better dead death would take all of this away but this is the thing about the devil. He always mixes some truth 
with a lie. Come here, Eve. Come here. Come here. You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of this fruit, you will be like him, knowing the good and the evil. Partially true. She didn't physically die, but she relationally died. He does this to confuse your head. So you can't under, you don't know if this is God, if this is Satan, or this is you, because he gives you some truth merged with a lie. So I was like, okay, okay, God, well, what you saying? He tricks us to believe that death would fix it. And it's partially right. It's just not you dying. It's your bitterness. You see that? What needs to die is the pattern. What needs to die is your pride. What needs to die is your ego. What needs to die is your sense of entitlement. That's what needs to die. But Satan tricks you to think you're the one that needs to die. And truth is, it's the pattern that needs to die. I'm trying. It's the pattern that needs to die. Anybody who's struggling with suicide, I'm telling you, it's something in me that has to die. Not you. You have a call. You have a purpose. As long as you got a pulse, God has a plan. It's not you that has to die. But it could be a thought pattern that has to die. It could be a relationship that has to die. But he deceives us in thinking it's us that has to die. Listen, church, if we don't unlearn Saul, we will never be Paul. If you don't unlearn Saul, you can never be Paul. Who is Paul? That is the destiny version of you. You want me to show you how powerful this is? You wouldn't even be listening to this sermon if Apostle Paul wouldn't have unlearned Saul because his conversion gave me sermon content. I was able to look at the scriptures and see due to him unlearning, I could look at his life and say, if Paul never would have unlearned Saul, I wouldn't be preaching this and you wouldn't be listening to this. But due to him willing to unlearn what he thought was right but was really wrong, we all could benefit from it. Let me give you a shock and illumination. Your unhealing is for somebody else's deliverance. Talk, Holy Ghost. It's for your children. It's for that person that you're going to meet this summer. It's for your marriage. It's for your future marriage. Your unlearning is for somebody else's deliverance. I can look at his story and see due to him unlearning. Due to him unlearning. This brother wrote half of the New Testament. We still are studying his life, but he was willing to unlearn. We have to unlearn those spending habits, unlearn those eating habits. Y'all don't want to talk to me. I have to unlearn that. Look, this is what brought all of this together. Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 of our foundational text. Verse 19 of our foundational text. It says, so when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Y'all remember I kept repeating that, right? Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. What was God doing? God put Saul in a position where he's surrounded by people who will help him unlearn. I need to surround you by people who have been with me. I need to surround you by people who know me. I need to surround you by people who are filled with the Holy Ghost. I need to surround you by people who know who they are in me. Paul, Saul was surrounded by people who helped him unlearn so that he could transform into Paul. 
Anytime God wants to next level you, he will surround you by people that will help you unlearn. So stop fighting that pastor. Stop fighting that brother that every single time you come to them venting about how you're about to call them and let them know a piece of your mind. And they tell you, be able to ignore that because a wise man can overlook an insult and you feel like they're not taking your side because you're used to finding somebody who will agree with you versus finding somebody who will help you unlearn. This is why the sermon hits so hard. Because God is saying, I need you to unlearn that. What you thought love was, I need you to unlearn that. What you thought having your back looked like, I need you to unlearn that. Well, what you thought church was, I need for you to unlearn that. I want to speak for a few moments around this thought. I learned it the wrong way. Father, in this moment... With our hearts, God, I feel it pliable, like, like the fresh clay after a fresh spring rain. Would you take our hearts, oh God, and mold it and show us the areas in our life where we learned it, but learned it wrong. Help us not abandon the process because it's uncomfortable. Help us not to abandon our posts because it's uncomfortable. Help us to stop trying to find people who learned it the same way we did and we click with them because we're both ignorant in the same area. We're both broken in the same area. Help us, God, be surrounded like Saul was with your disciples that could help us unlearn our Saul so that we could become the next version of ourselves that you called us to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees with that prayer would just shout in the room, amen. amen. Is this good, y'all? Yes, I'm like, man, this, this dude was a religious killer. And I'm like, man, I wonder due to you, due to you not unlearning certain things, what are you killing? What relationships are you killing? What opportunities are you killing? What is your attitude, your attitude killing? What, is, what are the things about me that are killing stuff because there's some unlearning that I have to do? Can I get us to say this confession? I know it's real. I know this is probably not the way that you thought this series would end. But to me, I'm like, God, this is powerful and it's great. Can I get us to say this and everybody watching online, put this in the room in all caps. Can I get everybody to say, Father, help me to unlearn any pattern, any belief, any survival tactic that's getting in the way of your use of me. One more time, Father, help me to unlearn any pattern, any belief, any survival tactic that's getting in the way of your use of me. In Jesus' name, can we clap it up for that? Brothers and sisters, the aircraft has finally landed. The cruise line of the sermon series is parking in the port. We're done. King Encounter series is coming to an end. We spent nine weeks. That's like a workout program. <laughs> Y'all sitting there listening. I'm sitting up here sweating. <laughs> it's a whole workout program. Nine weeks of showing us biblical episode after biblical episode so that we could see and gather irrefutable evidence that it is paradoxical, that it is impossible for us to meet the king of glory 
Taste the heavenly gift. Experience the beauty of the gospel of Jesus and live life the same. It's impossible. We showed you scripture after scripture. Like, listen, y'all, when you have an epiphany on where you would be if it wasn't for Jesus, I'm not even trying to be churchy. I'm being straight up. When you really get the understanding on what you would still be doing if it was not for Jesus, when you get the understanding that the only reason that you are still sane in your head is because of the peace of Jesus, like when you really understand that you will be in a graveyard today, in a cemetery today, if it was not for the protection of God, when you really and fully understand that you will still be in that dark ugly place if it was not for the unwavering persistent and consistent love of Jesus that never gave up on us that never went ghost that never cut you off that never unfollowed you that never blocked you but is constantly calling you out of darkness into this marvelous light when you fully understand that how could you not worship how could you not praise him how could you not seek his face how could you not clap how could you not read his word? When you like fully get the understanding of that, how could you not give him the glory, not the universe? I talked about this on Therapy Thursday. Don't make me get hot up here. All this talk, the universe this, just release your energy to the universe. Just, just release all of your efforts to the universe. The universe is not eternal. It's not. Scientists and those who study the laws of thermodynamics have concluded that due to climate disruption and biodiversity decline and overconsumption and our pollution and also merging the second law of thermodynamics, which means the earth is losing energy, all of that is simply saying the earth is dying. So you're telling me you're going to worship something that is affected by you? God is not dying because of us. God is not on his throne losing power because of us. We're not polluting heaven. God is the one who is a living God. The earth is dying. Why not give it to the Alpha and the Omega? How could you not worship? How could you not want to receive this beautiful gift? And I think somehow we messed it up, y'all. We thought that somebody loves Jesus due to them having scriptures in their Instagram post. That, that, that must be what we think. Like somehow we missed it. We thought because they come to church, they love Jesus. Devils come to church too. Oh, and for some of us, he has a better attendance record. <laughs> I showed us in this series. Devils come to church too. It's, the problem is we have gotten so watered down and candy-coated and minimal Bible speeches that devils can sit in the pew and say, amen, you better preach. I know that's right. Facts. Come on with it. But when you start preaching the gospel, demons can't stand it. The devil can't stand it. Chains have to fall off. People have to be set free. Tears will start streaming down your face because God is doing a work in your heart. Not giving you just a speech, but rather a rhema word from God. I think we thought because somebody has hashtag kingdom man in the bio or hashtag kingdom woman in the bio, they love Jesus. Or, or because they quote scripture. I showed us two weeks ago, devils quote scripture too. Right? 
more than and better than some of us, right? The devil uses scripture for manipulative purposes only. He uses it to try to manipulate you. He's a con artist of the soul. He delivers you nightmares but sells you dreams. Manipulative. He sends people in your life who you fall for who have no intentions of catching you. <laughs> just, just manipulation. Can I give us a shock and illumination? The devil doesn't care that you're in church right now. He doesn't care that, that you profess to be a Christian. He just doesn't want you to have the power of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't care that you're active. He just doesn't want you to be effective. See, he doesn't care that you heard of Jesus. He's heard of Jesus too. He just doesn't want you to start walking like Jesus and start talking like Jesus and using scripture like Jesus and starting to have passions like Jesus. He doesn't care that you know the Bible. He knows it too. He just doesn't want you to apply what you know. Here it is. He doesn't care that you want to be married. He doesn't. He just doesn't want you to have a kingdom marriage. I'm going to send you your preference where I can keep the system and the pattern and the bloodline. I don't care that you get married. I just don't want you to find somebody to, to uh, fulfill and advance the kingdom of God with together. That's what I don't want. But somebody being cute and fine, I will send them to you. I will send you want a man? Here you go. Some of us, if we be honest, it's not that I want a man or I want a woman. It's I want somebody who's kingdom. All right. The enemy always tries to manipulate us because he's the master of disguise. Say that backwards. He disguises himself as the master. Do you have Bible to corroborate your claim? I do. I'm glad you asked. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 14. It says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In other words, people have been wearing masks way before COVID, way before 2020, way before a pandemic. He comes as an angel of the light. This is why, have you ever wondered why he came in the garden as a snake and not a seal? <laughs> Think, why didn't he come into the garden as a penguin? Why did he come as a snake? It's because snakes belong in gardens, garden snakes. He places himself in an atmosphere where it looks like he belongs there. This is why you have to have discernment because discernment is the ability to see beyond presentation. And anytime you're faced with an opportunity, a person, or a space that you don't know if this is God, you are the enemy, sometimes needed discernment is God calling you into intercession. You need clarity? Come, let's talk. You need clarity? We got to fast for this one. You need clarity? Come talk to me. You're not going to get this with casual Christianity. You're going to get this by seeking my face. You need discernment. Go, go check out the discernment series if you need more information on that. But as we conclude this series, I am fully aware that under the sound of my voice and watching online, there are people in here who grew up unchurched, who grew up churched, Catholic, um, Buddhist, Pentecostal, Lord help us, Baptist, <laughs> Muslim, Jehovah Witness. This means, listen, 
it is a high probability that all of us, I'm talking about just in here and watching online, believe different things about the same thing. Okay? There, there are three Jesuses that exist. The one in your head, the one of culture, and the one in the Bible. And they're not all congruent. See? It's getting real quiet now. We Like the Jesus in your head, if you don't like them, Jesus don't like them either. <laughs> I want something to happen to them. Jesus in heaven, like, yeah, I saw that. I'm got something to happen to them too. That's the Jesus in your head. The Jesus of culture is cool with how you want to live. You like this? I'm cool. Jesus is your homeboy. Y'all ever seen church like that? <laughs> he's your homeboy. No, he's not. He's your king. He's your Lord. He's your master. That, that's, that's the culture Jesus. He's cool with whatever. But the Jesus of the scriptures is God speaking for himself. And it's possible that we've heard many information about Jesus. Saul was just like this, where he heard things about the Messiah that were incorrect. And he needed people to show him that your great learning is not totally incorrect, but it is incomplete. And the way you transform is by somebody helping you unlearn what you thought was correct. I'm challenging somebody this afternoon who thinks that you're correct. Could you be open to the possibility that you could be wrong? I need to do it one more time just so, just so that we get it. Jesus was not a politician. Oh, we about to get emails. We about to get emails. Jesus is not for the Republican Party. He's not for the Democratic Party. He's not either, even for the independent ticket because original God's will is he never even wanted us to have a king. He never even wanted us to have a president. We see this to be true in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when God's people were crying out for a king and God was like, I don't want nobody to rule over you who sits on a throne that's going to die. I want to rule over you. I want to be your king. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your master. But since we wanted to be like the nations around us, God gave us a king, the first king of Israel, King Saul. This is not the same Saul. King Saul. So that was God's original will. And don't take this out of context. Don't take a sound bite and take this out of context. I'm not saying rebel against the laws of the land. Romans 13 speaks about that. Apostle Paul wrote that. In fact, Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give back to God what is God's. Jesus wasn't a politician. Is it possible that you learned it the wrong way? Oh, what about this one? Jesus is not a tyrant. Like, Jesus is not looking and can't wait to throw you in the hell. We have certain preachers like that. You're going to burn. If you, like, we have people who present Jesus like that. He's not looking to throw you in the hell. He's not looking to flog you into submission. But he's the good shepherd that protects us from ravening wolves. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the servant that doesn't just wash your feet, but he also washes your sin. He wants us to have communion and relationship with him, not a dictator and using scripture out of context to make people fear a pastor or fear a master. He wants us to fear God out of reverence because he's not a tyrant. While he was on earth, his earthly occupation was carpentry. I told us this before. You know what that means? His whole life was specialized in fixing and repairing. And his destiny call got him on the cross where he fixed and repaired us. 
But he's a gentleman. He opens doors for us, and he wants us to come in, wants to come in our life by invitation. He's not a tyrant. Can I get somebody to say he's not a tyrant? This one going to get some unfollows, and that's okay. I wish more pastors would preach it so it wouldn't be awkward when I say it. Jesus was not homophobic. Y'all see how quiet it is? I wish more pastors would say this in public platforms so that people would stop looking at me awkward when I say it. Jesus was not homophobic. I know we see proclaimed Christians at events with signs saying that God hates all homosexuals. God hates the sin, but he loves the person. Okay, see? He hates the sin, but he loves the person. He came down on this earth and dwelt among us because he wants to free us from sin. Because sin had a hold on us. And watch this. Whenever God wants a people to be released or whenever God wants a people to be free, he, do, he does one of two things. He either removes it and replaces it or removes it and becomes it. Sin had a hold on us. He didn't like that. He wanted to remove it. So what did he do? He became it. This is how we get the scripture. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, just so we don't get it twisted, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and leave his father and be joined with his wife. So it is the kingdom order for a man to be with a woman, not a womb with womb. Why? Because that can't multiply. Anything that cannot multiply has been manipulated by man. Oh, I'm preaching right now. Any apple. Any apple or any fruit that you eat that is seedless has been manipulated by man. God's order is for it to be able to multiply and be fruitful. Womb with womb can't multiply. Seed with seed can't multiply. And just in case we get it twisted, I want us to know that the same blood that flowed on that cross for the heterosexual is the same blood that flowed on that cross for the homosexual. The same blood that flowed on that cross for the virgin is the same blood that flowed on that cross for the prostitute. The same blood that flowed on the cross for the porn watcher is the same blood that flowed on the cross for those who are chasing purity. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel so when I preach it, people don't look at me strange. It's not homophobic. He hates sin, but he doesn't hate you. Blood covers all. Oh, just because you may have done it with several women and you're a man doesn't mean you're not sexually immoral. Both of y'all are. The blood is for everybody. We're going to get emails, but it's okay because I want to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Lastly, Jesus was not just a prophet. Okay, there's some religions who say Jesus was a prophet, great man, morally upright, just a prophet. And my question for them is, okay, uh, was he a false prophet? No, no, he, he was revered man, prophet of God. But was he a false prophet? Because he prophesied that he will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Ooh, he prophesied that he would die and raised on the third day with all power in his hand. He, he prophesied that if you tear this temple down, in three days I will pick it back up again. 
and he did it again. So is he a false prophet? Because that sounds like messianic behavior to me. That sounds like king of the world behavior to me. That sounds like lying out of the tribe of Judah behavior to me. Was he a prophet or a false prophet? Because if you believe that he was a true prophet, what about all the stuff he prophesied? Talk, Holy Spirit. It's possible that we learned it, but we learned it wrong. I want us to see this chart, and I'm going to get out your way. And y'all pray for your pastors. We need more pastors who speak the truth. Yes. Speak the, who cares about an unfollow? Like how I view it, I'm going to have to give an account for what I say right here and what I'm saying to you. So I'm never going to stand before God and say, I cared more about likes, I cared more about follows, so I didn't tell them the truth because I wanted to be liked. I'd rather be unliked and go to heaven. I'd rather be unliked and have his favor than lie to you and get your likes. So I believe this is how the unlearning process works. You have, number one, your Damascus experience. Can I get everybody to say Damascus. In my backpack, Tanisha, there's a, um, a hanker, like a bandana. Grab it and I'll just come up here with me. Your Damascus experience, that's the season in your life where everything seems to be on pause. Man, there's nothing working. Nothing working. No ads, no marketing. You're doing groundwork, but you have no heaven support. God is trying to get your attention to show you you learned this wrong. The way you view me, that's incorrect. The way you view your children, that's incorrect. What you learned from your mother, that's incorrect. Can I put you and enroll you in the school of university, of kingdom teaching, so that you can see what you've learned, thank you, is incorrect. Y'all clap it up for my beautiful wife. Now, I just want you to stand right here, okay, face me. So after you have your Damascus experience, this is the time in your life when God is really dealing with you. He's really dealing with you. And there's something in this text I saw that blessed me. Carl, I want us to just see this one scripture, and then after I read it, let's put it back on the screen. Um, verse 3, verse 3 of our foundational text, I want you to see this. It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know why this blessed me? Because Jesus is basically saying, whenever you're trying to do something to hurt my daughter, you hurt me. This is why, oh, I hope we get this. This is why you never need to try to get revenge. Because when you are a child of God, when they did it to you, they did it to him. And so, People in Damascus, they don't even really know Saul is coming. But God is like, hold on, bro. You about to mess with my people. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you trying to get back that God is saying, if you focus on me, I'll handle that? And do you have enough grace in your heart for the people that you're bitter towards and want to get them back? What if they repent and seek God? See? All right, Carl, we can put the chart back up. Everybody say Damascus experience. This is your encounter. That's what this whole series has been about. The second part is your discomfort. So Saul was on his way to Damascus. I watched this one. This is not one of the dirty ones I use in the garage. Because I know she might, did you put that sweaty bandana on my head? No, I watched this. Okay. So this is the season in your life 
where God's like, I want you to just learn my voice and hold my hand. You've been so distracted by everything going on around you. I want you to learn my voice. Remember the Bible says that Saul was blind. And it said that the people had to lead him to Damascus. Do you trust God when he places you in a season where all you know is his voice and his hand? Now, I know there's a wire right here. You don't see it. But I am in your tomorrow, today. Let's step over a little bit. I need you to trust me. TC, come here. I need you to trust me. Don't try to resist me because I want to take you to a new place. But you're in an uncomfortable season because everything you've known is now taken away from you. And this is the reason why you never want to let go of his hand. Come here. I know you don't like being on stage. Come here. People are going to benefit from this. All right. What happens is, now Tanisha, I want you to just trust me. You don't even recognize when God is leading your life, he's protecting you from dangers seen and unseen. TC, try to touch her. Don't ever let go of him because he sees things in your life that are trying to come to you. And he knows how to protect you. You can't see it, but I'm guiding you. I'm not going to let you fall. Don't try to get her again. I'm not going to let you fall because I recognize that there are things in your way. I'm leading you. You can move around. I'm protecting you. Nothing's going to happen. Now, sometimes he does something that's real scary. There's some stairs coming up. Oh, y'all think she's going to fall? There's some stairs coming up. I'm going to tell you when you're there. Keep coming. Keep trusting me. Keep trusting me. Even when you can't, don't, you're not comfortable, trust me. All right. Now, here's the first stair. Touch me. Come on down. There you go. The second stair. Come on down. There you go. Next stair. Come on down. Do you trust God enough to allow him to be your eyes when you can't see what's coming? The season of discomfort. You can sit down, Tease. The season of discomfort. I'm not done with you yet. Look, I'm done with you. The season of discomfort. Now, the next part in this phase is when God surrounds you with leaders. Ananias came and said, Saul, there's something on your life that God wants you to do. So I'm going to pray for you. I need leaders who help me see. Things I wouldn't see. I know that you really think that this is God's will, but maybe y'all should hold off on the marriage. See? Because I'm praying for you. And I'm trusting that God will allow you to see things that you normally couldn't see. There was a season in your life when you felt blinded. But you weren't blind. I was guiding you. And what do you do when God allows you to see what you didn't want to see? Because what you really wanted, you could only see in your head because you were blind. Okay, you have a seat, mama. See, I ain't let you fall, huh? <laughs> Don't worry about it. I get it. Damascus. Discomfort. Leaders, healing, all for the purpose of, y'all say this with me, unlearning, unlearning, unlearning. This whole series was designed to get us to see it's more than just captions. It's more than just posting scriptures on the internet and saying I'm a Christian. It's a lifestyle. That's why part one I showed you that Jesus says, look, you cannot walk in darkness and claim to be in the light if you do, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. That's not me judging. That's his word. 
So God wants us to understand, I have an encounter for everybody. But for the next phase, are you willing to unlearn? And by God's grace, next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series called Destiny Decisions. Because all of us are going to be faced with choices that have destiny weight on it. And I need you to have an encounter with me so that, I, so that when I tell you this is a decision that's going to hurt your destiny, you'll trust me. Was this good, y'all? Yeah.